0: Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about the upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit Christchurchlondon.org. Good morning, Central Service. Morning. South Service, send their love. I've been there this morning, and they are in rude health uh, with uh, lots of people and lots of children. It was fantastic being there this morning. morning. Um, Andy, Tilsley, Andy and Joy Tilsley also send their love. You may be interested t- to get a quick update from Sutton. Last week, uh, they saw their first person make a decision to follow Christ since starting the service. Which is fantastic, isn't it? Absolutely. That is, of course, what it's all about. So uh, Andy and Joy were absolutely thrilled about that. Andy says they've been going, prior to this Sunday, nine Sundays. He said, we've had nine people who have decided to join us in nine Sundays. Uh, so I said, Andy, if you keep that up, that will get very exciting indeed. And uh, the other thing which he is particularly excited about is they've just found a new venue, which they're going to start at next week. Now, the reason that's such good news is there's no storage at their current venue. So everything has to be uh, stored in people's garages or other places and then driven to the venue. So this is also a huge answer to prayer. So do pray for them. It's young, it's relatively small, it's fragile, but God seems to be at work as well. So I know they'd hugely value our prayers uh, as they uh, pioneer and make their way for another Christchurch London uh, service down in South London. As Vicky said, this is the last Sunday of the Proverbs series. Have you enjoyed the Proverbs series? I'm pleased to hear that. It's, uh, it's one of, been one of my favourite. Uh, one of the things I've loved about it is how practical uh, it has been. And uh, that's helped me in the preparation. I trust it's helped you as well. Uh, I want to start this week's with the story of a man by the name of John Kirkby. Some of you will have heard of John. Uh, he had a pretty tough start to life. His father died when John was young, his mother had serious mental health issues and was sectioned, and uh, had to go to hospital and stay in hospital on a number of occasions. Uh, As an adult, John uh, married, started a business, had children, and then the pain of his upbringing, uh, his parents' absence, and all the other elements of that caught up with him. And he found he was unable to control his life. As a result of that, he lost his marriage, he lost his business, and he lost his children. And his life was at the lowest point. And it was at that point that he came to faith in Christ. And he not only came to faith, but he started to adopt some of the habits that we've been talking about over these last nine or ten weeks. He started to learn the power of self-discipline. I mean, hugely important for us all, but particularly important in John's sort of situation. He started to learn to make friends with people who were going to do him good, not drag him down, but lift him up. He started to master his appetites and all the other sorts of things that we've been talking about to pay off our debts, to save well, and to learn to live generously. And all of this, of course, over a period of time changed his life. And he said it was a very special day. And you will know this if you've been in debt and worked your way out of debt He said it was a very special day, the day he paid off his last piece of debt. And he said it was around that point in time that the Spirit of God whispered to him and said, now it is time for you to start a charity to work with people who have the same history as you. You are to work with those who are in debt. And John started uh, this uh, charity, next slide please, Christians Against Poverty. And Christians Against Poverty, uh, whilst also having its challenges, has grown to be an absolutely fantastic and one of the largest, fantastic charity, one of the largest charities of its kind in the UK. Every year, thousands of families celebrate going debt-free. Hundreds of people celebrate getting a job having been long-term unemployed. Hundreds of others celebrate getting free from addictions or life-controlling habits. It really is an amazing thing, and it's won a whole tranche of awards. The Sunday Times and other eminent organizations have, award, have awarded them for Best Employer, Best Leaders, and all sorts of other uh, awards as well. What a fantastic story it is. And it's a great example of what we want to talk about this morning Somebody whose life was in tatters, who got connected with Jesus, started surrendered to Jesus, started doing what Jesus suggests, found his life was working pretty well, and then turned that for the sake of others. Here's the proverb we're looking at this morning. It's Proverbs 11, verse 10. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. And I want to work through just the first part of this proverb carefully to start with. When the righteous prosper. Who are the righteous? Well, I was relieved to find out once I checked my commentaries that they weren't some super elite set of Mother Teresa-like monks or nuns who'd abandoned all earthly goods and, and lived with incredible sacrifice. I wasn't sure that I would measure up to that. The righteous are simply put those who are living right with God. They've got their lives right with God. If you're going to lead a life which leads to the city rejoicing, you have to find some joy yourself. And we're not just talking about Christmas cheer. We're talking about something more fundamental where you've actually come and made peace with your Creator and where you reconcile yourself to your past, or God reconciles you to your past, you start to sort out your relationships in the present, you start to have hope for the future, and you have peace with God right now. And the righteous are those who have made peace with God, which I know many of us would identify with that, and then those who, as a result of this, start to follow him and do the things that the book of Proverbs tells us to. So we Get right with God, and then we live right as a result. And this verse is very clear. It says, If you live that way, your life will prosper. Now, this isn't a get rich quick verse. The prosperity, first of all, that's talked about here is in every part of our lives. It's not just money, it's prospering in our relationships, it's prospering in our working environment, it's prospering in our community. It's prospering in every area of life. But there is, it seems, and I think this is the theme we find throughout scripture, when you get your life right and you live right over the long term, there will always be a sense of prosperity, which is first and foremost with God's presence, but then often leads to other things as well. Now, you may be sitting here a bit frustrated right now. You said, well, I have made my life right with God and I'm trying to do everything Proverbs tells me to and Life is not working out for me right now. Well, if that's the situation for you, then you're in really great company. Because many of the saints in the scriptures would be exactly the same. And one of the mistakes that we can make is simply to measure our life by the snapshot of how it is right now, rather than taking a long-term view. Let me give you as an example a pastor. I used to read his books in my, as a teenager. They had a big influence on me. He was a Romanian pastor who was arrested and put in jail because he insisted on preaching during the time of communist control across Eastern Europe. He didn't just get thrown in jail. He got put in solitary confinement where you say, well, look, Richard wormbrand he's done everything Proverbs tells us to and look at the mess that's got him in. How is that to be called prospering? Well, interestingly enough, he couldn't prosper in his job because he didn't have one and couldn't get one. He didn't prosper in his relationships because he was in solitary confinement. But nonetheless, he was sustained by a remarkable sense of the presence of God. In fact, it was so vivid and powerful for him that he said, you could find me at three o'clock in the morning dancing for joy in my cell. Now, I would wager most of us were not dancing at 3 o'clock in the morning this morning, and if so, it wasn't out of joy for the presence of God. <laughs> but that was Richard Wormbrand's experience. And actually, the jailers thought he was going crazy, and they gave, put more food through his door as a result. Over the long term, he was released. Now, sometimes Hebrews 11 says some of us are released by going to really prosper, you know, we go and be with Christ. And that is, you know, one element. But he was released and he became a prolific author and speaker, strengthening the church around the world with the stories, remarkable stories of how God had helped him during a time of persecution. Humble yourself, says James, under the hand of the Lord, and in due course, he will lift you up. And so we measure prosperity not over the short term but over the longer term and we find typically that prosperity is always the presence of God and often in many other elements in fact sociologists of religion say this is such a common phenomena that they now have a term for it redemption and lift that people who find make their peace with God then are lifted up in many other ways as well so the first half of this verse envisages God's work in people's life leading out pretty well. As a result, the city rejoices. What is it? Now, this, this verse is an important verse. The sort of rejoicing, we will have a whole load of fun next Friday evening, and I hope you can join us for our central service party. We'll have a whole load of fun and joy there, but it's not the sort of joy that this verse is referring to. The joy that this verse refers to is the joy when you have a small group of people who have been oppressed by powerful enemies who find that they unexpectedly win a battle and those enemies are thrown off, vanquished, defeated. So this is not party joy or happy birthday joy. This is VE day joy. This is the sort of joy that you have when the very things that have been sucking the life out of you get broken And it's that sort of rejoicing, which I think John Kirkby is a great example of. He serves others, and as other people pay off their debts, get into work, throw off their addictions, it is that sort of, yes, I didn't know whether this would ever happen, but I am now free. (coughs) So this verse also poses a challenge for us, and the challenge is simply this what will you do with the prosperity that God gives you? Will you use it for the prospering of the city, for the rejoicing of the city, or will you use it for yourself? What will you do with the prosperity that God gives you? And what I want to do in the second half of this talk is I want to two things. Firstly, I want, to say, I want to look at the sort of things that we might say which would say, look, I'm not ready for this or I can't live my life that way. And then I want to look at the characteristics of the righteous as spelt out in the book of Proverbs and the book of Psalms. So what would be the things that might make us hesitate, the, the excuses or the reasons, some of them good reasons why we might not feel able to live this way? First one is this. Life is pretty difficult right now. Life is pretty difficult. Life can be pretty difficult for all sorts of reasons. For some of us, it might just feel like I'm carrying a whole load of pain right now. Just dealing with my pain on a daily basis takes so much of my time and my energy. It's really hard to look outside myself and think about anything or anyone else. How can I possibly help others? Others of us may just be overwhelmed with busyness, responsibilities, it's not so obvious in this service, I guess, because the children are, are out right now. But in the South Service, there were just so many children this morning. And one family, who some of us know very well, has five children, all under about seven or eight. And you just think, all right, well, you've got a li- you can do a limited amount of rejoicing the city type work other than pour yourself into those little ones right now. And that'd be a pretty good deal. But for those of us with lots of pain, carrying lots of pain, The Bible makes clear and it says it's it's a good thing to get that dealt with first. Deal with your pain. You say, well, I don't know how to. No, well, most it's normally the pain is so great, it's very difficult to, but that's why we have others around us. It's why God puts us in a community. It's why we do the steps course. It's why we do men's recovery and women's recovery. It's why we offer one of the reasons we offer prayer at the end of the service. It's why we have a pastoral team. There's lots of ways that we can help each other. And it's not like, you know, there's two categories, those in pain and those who don't have pain. No, it's that we all carry pain, challenge in our lives, and it's learning to walk together and to help each other. That said, and I'm encouraging you, therefore, if life is difficult and demanding for you, that you first sort that out. But do not do that in such a way that we lose our, that our focus becomes entirely inward focused. Isaiah warns us against that. He says we should always be aware of those to whom we need to share our food with or provide, providing the wonder with shelter. And he says that if we will always live with a focus that way as well, then actually our healing will appear quickly. Here's what it says, Isaiah 58, verse 8. Your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Christ Church London, where you know that you need God's healing in your life, Do not neglect the poor. We'll come back to this, but do not neglect the poor. Go for help, open your heart, talk with others, but do not neglect the poor. for As we give to them, we're told, our healing will appear quickly. Others of us may say, it's not that I've just got too much pain, but I am just too busy, not little children, but you can't ask me to do anything else right now. I've got enough on. Well, you'll be pleased to know I'm not suggesting anyone does more in this talk. What I'm suggesting is that we have a perspective which gives purpose or reason or meaning to what we're doing. Let me give you an example. A friend of mine in one of the other services, I said to him recently, how would you describe what you do? He said, I work on the plumbing of the financial systems of this country, and particularly the pensions. Really exciting stuff, hey? That's what he... I mean, he joked. He said, it's really boring stuff. But he said, actually, what I'm doing... He said he's trying to help this nation avoid a pension crisis to come. And Without you know, getting too focused on this, the bottom line is there's not enough money put away in order to enable us all to retire and to draw down the pensions that are required. And I was very impressed with my friend's answer for this reason. He understood not... He wasn't just into numbers and funds and all these things. He was saying, no, actually, there's a bigger purpose behind this. That if I give myself day by day to this work, then in due course it might lead to the city rejoicing in ways that it wouldn't do otherwise. Another friend who's a fish farmer. What on earth can fish farming do to cause a city to rejoice? My friend explained it like this. He said... uh, we're expecting another 2 billion people on Earth fairly soon, going from 7 billion to 9 billion. He said, uh, have you thought about how we're going to feed another 2 billion people in a sustainable way for the Earth? He said, you know, the very best way of doing that, feed everyone fish. It's bad news for those of you that don't like fish out there. Good news for the rest of us. He said, we need to grow lots more fish, farm lots more fish, and the world will... The most sustainable ways, sustainable food out there, he said, and what's great for us in terms of health as well, he said, is fish. Again, I was impressed, not because this guy is buying up acres and acres of ocean in order to farm his fish, but because he'd got a much bigger purpose behind it. He had thought about how his actions would lead to the rejoicing of the city. It's it's fascinating, you know, I'm preaching this and I'm looking around this room, and I know a lots of you and I know what lots of you do and for some of you it's like that's obvious you're like you're just you know you're a teacher or a social worker or you do social good oozing out of you others of you I can see you going "Mm, I'm not quite sure and I'm not quite sure either how that works out and maybe it requires thought and maybe some changes who knows when the righteous prosper the city rejoices One other objection. David, please understand I'm not the next John Kirkby. I am not the sort who starts world-changing organizations. Well, I understand that. Those individuals are exceptional and unusual. But here's what Jesus did. He loved the person in front of him. He loved the individual. And we can all do that. We can all do that friend in one of the other services, I'm chatting to her the other night. She said, I don't like all this starting world-changing things. She said, I can't do that. She said, but I do like loving individuals, which is why I became a nurse at one of London's busiest uh, A&E units. And uh, she's been doing that for 10 years. And, of course, that's mad and it's tragic and it's important and all those other things. So recently she's been promoted. She said, now I'm in charge, me and two others. I said, oh, wow. I said, so how many children do you care for at one of London's busiest A&Es every year? She said, oh, 50,000. 50,000 individuals. I said, and how many grown-ups? She said, oh, about 200,000. So I said, all right, you're telling me after 10 years of caring for individuals, you are now responsible with two others for the care of 250,000 Londoners a year. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of the lord and in due course you haven't got any idea what he might do as a result so what are the qualities of the righteous and uh, just before we get to that one i've just realized when i was preaching this earlier i've missed one out the first quality of the righteous is that they share the good news with others they share and they make space for sharing the good news with others and uh, we'll, maybe we'll come back to that later. The second one is this, that they care for those in need. He who oppresses the poor taunts and assaults his make, insults his maker. But he who is kind and merciful and gracious to the needy honors him. Caring for the poor is an incredible thing. And I'm not thinking here necessarily of the charities that were mentioned earlier, Growth and Food Bank and the like, as important as they are. Even before we get to those, I wanna suggest this, that we all have the poor in our lives. You've all got a sick relative, a sick work colleague, an elderly and infirm parent or grandparent or whatever, that we all have neighbor, that we all have the needy in our lives. And the challenge with caring for them is that when you show love, you don't get so much back. That when you show love, you don't get so much back. Philip and I were deeply challenged about this this summer when we went to meet Jean Vanier. Jean Vanier, uh, the pe- people say is that when Jean Vanier dies, he's likely to be the person that the Pope next makes a saint. So this guy, he is truly remarkable, very privileged background, in the Navy, French-Canadian, very and deeply bothered about what France is doing. Uh, this would now be 30, 40, uh, 50 years ago what France are doing in terms of their care of those who are seriously mentally, have uh, serious mental disabilities. And they were essentially shutting them away. They were institutionalizing them, keeping them out of society. So Jean felt the Spirit of God whisper to him and say, invite some of them to live with you. What would you do if the Lord said that to you? He said, invite some of them to live. So he invited three men. If I remember rightly, one of them didn't last the first night. But the other two did. Here's what Jean Vanier said. He said, essentially, these men wanted a friend. They weren't very interested in my knowledge. He's like a university professor as well, but they weren't impressed by that. Or my ability to do things, but rather they needed my heart and my being. Who is there in your world who's not impressed by your title, doesn't care where you live, how much you earn or what you do, but needs your heart or your body in an appropriate way, of course. <laughs> Couldn't work out any way out of <laughs> where I'd landed that last sentence. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Who is there in your life that requires disinterested love, love that you give them where you don't get anything back? For Jean Vanier, this multiplied all around the world. But that's not the point. The point is, who is there in your world who requires that sort of love? They, righteous, care for those in need. Secondly, they care for their community. It can be easy to forget when we're part of a church like this that this isn't our only community, but there's a wider, broader community that we live in and amongst in the city and maybe a particular part of the city. Here's what it says in Psalm 15. The one whose way of life is righteous does no wrong, to a neighbor, does no wrong to a neighbor. We work rather for the healing of our communities. Two suggestions, if you're thinking about how can I contribute to my industry, or my office, or my school, or my class, or my street, find a need and fill it, or find a hurt and heal it. Find a need and fill it, or find a hurt and heal it. Mark McIver, who we interviewed at the Everything Conference, it's a great example of someone who's found a need in his community. Do you know what that need is? We all need our hair cut from time to time. It's as simple as that. But he said to me privately, he said, David, I'm a servant for, to all. He said, Stormzy calls and I do his hair. And he said, my friends on the local, in the local community, I do their hair. And he said, I've never cancelled an appointment because the celebrities have called and want me to do their hair. He said, I'm a servant to all. And as a result of being a servant to all, He gets authority in people's lives and people have stopped dealing drugs and people have stopped fighting gang wars and people have stopped uh, stealing as a result of Mark standing in his uh, barbershop, cutting hair and advising and talking to people. He's found a need and as he's met the need, he started to get authority as a result. That is how we get authority in this life. You get authority not by being promoted but by serving If you will serve, you'll probably get promoted anyway. But either way, you will get authority in people's lives. Find a hurt, find a need and fill it, or find a hurt and heal it. I was at an event the other day, and someone came up to me and said, so where would you most like to live in the world? London, I said. Well, where else, they said. I said London. No, 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 if you could go anywhere else. I said London. In the end, I sort of gave up. They wore me down. I said, oh, New York or Washington, D.C., She said, really? Would you want to go there, with politics as it is? I mean, you know what she means. It's sort of uh, toxic at the moment, not just there, but here. And people have forgotten to disagree over arguments and have started hating each other and treating each other, sometimes in just terrible ways. She said, would you really want to go into that sort of environment? Well, if you live thinking, where's the hurt that I can heal? Then the answer is yes. It's what my friend Arthur Brooks has done, who lives in D.C. He he decided that in this context, it was time to launch a podcast. He's called it The Art of Disagreement. How to disagree well. And there's loads and loads of people listening to it. Because everyone wants a way out of hating one another while they're happy to disagree with the ideas. So he's found a hurt and he's healing it. What opportunities, where would the Spirit lead you in terms of your community. Thirdly, the righteous speak? The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. I love the picture of this. What does a fountain of life do? Well, a fountain of water spills out and brings just fertility and life wherever it goes. Your mouth can be just the same. By choosing positive, encouraging, strengthening, comforting words, you can bring life all around you. That's amazing. That's what Jesus did. The poor heard him gladly, we're told. What's your reputation in terms of your speech? When others get stressed around you, do people look to you as the fountain of life? We actually have a saying for this in our family. We call it a fountain of positivity. And occasionally one of us will say to the other, I need you to be a fountain of positivity right now. Just help me out here change the context by the way in which we speak. Now, some of you may say, I'm not very good with my words, but I can create in other ways. So well, that's what Charlie McEasy does. Some of us will know Charlie. He's a painter, much in demand. Sting collects his work, and Whoopi Goldberg collects his work. That sort of painter. But here's what here's his latest set of prints. Thought you'd like to see them. Fountain of Life. If we can't forgive... We'll have no friends left. I think this is incredibly appropriate and apposite at this point in time, don't you? Here's the, it was shown this whole set was shown in the gallery in St James's just a couple of weeks ago. This is my favourite. What's the bravest thing you've ever said? Asked the boy. Help, said the horse. It's not in the Bible, but it is really good. Next. Sometimes all you hear about is the hate. But there's more love in this world than you could possibly imagine. Do you think this is art that will do the city good? Do you think this is art that will lead to the city rejoicing? Now, most of us here aren't artists, but what's your thing? What's God given you? What's God given you? So that you can be a fountain of life to the people around you. Finally, The righteous trust in God. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Now, I'm not talking here about social work. I'm not encouraging people here to simply responsible citizenship. I'm saying get so full up with God that he pours out of you and leads to other people rejoicing as a result. And we've talked about all sorts of practical ways of doing this, but there's a really interesting verse in Acts, which I'm sure as Luke penned it, he was thinking of our text for today, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Let's have a look at the, let's have a look at the verse. Thanks. Let's have the next one, verse on Acts. Here we go. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks... Impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So what happened? There was great joy in the city. When the righteous prosper, joy comes. And another way in which the Bible suggests we do this is by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we love the presence of the Spirit, why we often pray for the presence of the Spirit. As Moses said, I'm not going anywhere and I'm not even taking the job you're asking me to do unless I get your presence. And he goes on, what will make me different, us different from any other people unless we have your presence? And so we too look for God's presence to lead the city to rejoicing. Let me finish with this. 18th century Britain was pretty like 21st century Britain. In that, it was in the middle of change. In the 18th century, there was an industrial revolution. Right now, there is a digital revolution. Life was changing fast. What happens when life changes fast? The strong do fine, and the weak often suffer or get left behind. And we have many experiences of that happening in this day and age, but it happened then. People flooded to the cities like London, but the cities were desperately poor. Housing was atrocious, uh, work was often dangerous you work hugely long hours food expensive pay low created huge problems and it was happening right across Europe so of course in many parts of Europe what happens when the wheat get left behind after a while they start to revolt any of you saw the news of what happened in Paris this last few weekends now, in the 18th century, that happened in such a way that there were revolutions across Europe, most famously in France, but in a number of other nations as well. Now, why didn't that happen here? For all the conditions were in place for it to happen. Why didn't it happen here? Well, one of the reasons I would suggest it didn't happen in the UK was because, of, because some decades before revolution broke out on the continent, John Wesley went to a prayer meeting. He went to a prayer meeting about one mile from here in Fetters Lane. Here's how he describes that New Year's Day prayer meeting. About three in the morning, ladies and gentlemen, this is a serious prayer meeting, about three in the morning as we were continuing instant in prayer, the power of God came mightily upon us inasmuch that many cried out for exceeding joy. And many fell to the ground as soon as we were recovered a little from, the, what, from that awe and amazement at the presence of His Majesty. We broke out with one voice: "We praise Thee, O God, acknowledge thee to be the Lord." The result? A spiritual revival across this nation, the birth of Methodism and the renewing of much of the established church. And with that, not only a spreading of the gospel, but these Methodists really put this verse into practice. They went into the prisons and they took food for the hungry. And they cared. They took clothes for the, for the naked and they cared for those that were dying. They started schools. They provided free school meals. If you think free school meals are a 20th century invention, you are entirely wrong. They were done two centuries before them by the Church of God. They created funds so that they could do loans for people to start small businesses. They created schemes to get the unemployed back into work. Extraordinary things that they were doing for the righteous had learnt to use their prosperity. And as a result, I think, this nation was saved from the violence that happened across the continent. Proverbs put it very well in chapter 14 and verse 34. For righteousness exalts a nation. Righteousness exalts a nation. Now this world is in an extraordinary time right now. In so many ways and so many forces that are concerning, what can the church of God do? Well, one of the things it can do is live righteously in the sort of way we've been looking at today. For we know that where righteous people are found in a nation, the nation is exalted, or the nation is kept safe, or the nation plays a positive role. And so, the question is, what will you and I do with our prosperity? And how will we live in such a way that the joy that is ours and the joy that God gives us can be shared with others as well. Let's stand together. And uh, if the band uh, can come and get their instruments, that would be great. Let's pray, shall we? I want to pray, and I want to just ask that in this moment of prayer, and as we sing a song of worship, as we conclude, that God would, speak to us or underline things in our hearts. I wonder what you feel the Lord's saying to you. It may be, I need to to no longer live with my pain, but actually decide to deal with my pain. It may be, I need to think deeply about how I'm spending my time or the perspective on it. Maybe that there's opportunities or things that have come to mind. Let's just pray, shall we, and ask for God to rest upon us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, your kindness, and your goodness. Thank you that the righteous one prospered, that the Son of God died and then was lifted on high so that we can all prosper now. We thank you for that and thank you that prosperity at its heart is more of God's presence. And so we pray for the presence of God upon us right now. In Jesus' name, the presence of God on every single one of us, whether we feel close or far right now, may we know God's presence upon us. Lord, we, like Moses, want to say, we don't want to go up from here without your presence. What will make us look different from others if we don't have your presence? Holy Spirit, would you come upon us by your presence? Would we know your hand on us now speak in people's hearts and people's minds? Speak to us and guide us and lead us and strengthen us. Keep us from discouragement. You know, if the Spirit is speaking to you and it's leave, well, if, you, if you're feeling discouraged by your thoughts, they're not from the Lord. But if you're feeling encouraged and strengthened, that's a great, uh, a great pointer, that these are from the Lord. So Lord, rest upon us now in Jesus' name. Raise up the righteous, that we may serve this nation, this city well. May many rejoice and ultimately may they find you just as we have found the answer, the author, the perfecter of life. Pray it all in Jesus' name. And the people said, Amen.